0: Good morning. Uh, we're glad uh, to have uh, some of our kids' own kids in here uh, for Family Fifth Sunday, and uh, normally uh, it is amazing how often like Family Fifth really aligns uh, where you know, I'm going. Man, this is a story the kids will love, or this is a lesson they they really um, need to hear. Um, today's not one of those days. Um, <laughs> that it aligned perfectly. As a matter of fact, I would never uh, read this story, actually, uh, to Lila in particular. But um, And uh, so if it appears that I'm uncomfortable and doing a little bit of tap dancing, the reason is because I'm uncomfortable and I'm doing a little bit of tap dancing. So, uh, But we'll get through it together. It's, it's really going to be fine. So uh, for you, uh, it's going to be very awkward and terrible for me. So, um, but uh, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into it. All right, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. Uh, we thank you that uh, even in the Old Testament, um, we see these uh, shadows in the, and these pictures of your grace. And uh, we're grateful. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. A woman uh, was taken by her husband to the doctor kind of in critical condition and he was in the waiting room and was just waiting and waiting and waiting patiently to find out what was going on with his wife and pretty soon the doctor came out and said to his assistant there at the desk, "Could, could you get me a wrench? I need a wrench. She was like, okay. And the guy's like, what on earth is going on with my wife back there? And a few minutes later he came out and he said to his assistant, I need a screwdriver. Get me a screwdriver. She's, he's going, what on earth is going on back there? And then a few minutes later, he's waiting and waiting. A few minutes later, the doctor comes back out and he says to the woman at the desk, get me a hammer, I need a hammer. And finally, the guy has enough and he says, listen, what in the world is going on with my wife back there? What is wrong? And he said, well, I haven't gotten to her yet. My, mega, my medical cabinet won't open. So, um, and the, the truth of the matter is a season of waiting, when you've ever been in the waiting room of life, a season of waiting room. A season of waiting, waiting can be really, really hard. Uh, when you're single and you're waiting to find the perfect person that you can marry, it's discouraging. Uh, when you're a married couple and you're wanting to have children, it doesn't happen right away. It's it's hard. When the only thing you want is a new job and you're kind of stuck with the old one, it's it's very very difficult. Waiting is hard, and it can be especially hard. I think spiritually. It's in the waiting room of life that we enter into a season of doubt sometimes. It's in the waiting room that we enter into a season of discouragement. It can be in the waiting room when people really begin to question their faith. That I thought God had this plan for me. I thought God was in the middle of this. I thought God had a future for me. And it just seems like all I'm doing is waiting. This is where we are in our story today. Uh, We're gonna be uh, in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 29 if you have your Bibles or your phone or whatever, and you want to turn over there, uh, Jacob, uh, the grabber, has deceived his brother. He's deceived his father. He's uh, done some really terrible things so far. And his parents have kind of reconciled that a little bit. And they've sent him uh, forward to find, uh, to go to his, to his uncle Laban's house uh, to find uh, a wife. And he's going to find uh, not one, uh, but two. And there's a joke in here uh, kids, it's kids on Sunday, so I'm not going to make it, but there there is a joke in there about marrying your cousin, but I'm not going to make it, Um, you can ask me about it later, all right, so, um, but this is is Genesis, and it was, honestly, it it does kind of need to be addressed a little bit, it was a different time and a different way, and it's really not what the story is about, so we don't want to dwell there, but Jacob is sent by his parents uh, to start his family and to find a wife, and here's what it says, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, uh, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. Uh, The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Time out. All right. (laughs) Come on, Bible. Bible. Not cool at all. I, you know, I, I understand that, that Jacob found Rachel more beautiful, but my son and I were driving around, and we were kind of laughing about this story. He was asking what I was preaching on last Sunday, and we were laughing about it. You can just imagine, like, being on a dating app or whatever, and you're kind of scrolling through, and it's like, oh, this person says, I love the outdoors. I love long walks. I love to hike. I love that whole thing. You scroll again. Oh, I love to read. I love a, a really great Book another one. I love movies. I love to watch movies, go to movies. I, I love movies. I love reading. And then you swipe again. I have weak eyes. <laughs> you just keep scrolling, right? I have weak eyes too, uh, to be honest. But I would hope that if you were to approach Cheryl after service and say, tell me like the top thing you love about Steve, she'd say two words, weak eyes. <laughs> no. Nobody receives that as a compliment, right? Nobody ever receives. So, I, you know, so it's just kind of an awkward thing, but it's trying to paint this picture of how much Jacob uh, loved Rachel. And he was, uh, verse 18, he was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work uh, for you for seven years in return uh, for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you uh, than to some other man, high degree of confidence. Better you than some bum, I guess, Right? Uh, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed uh, like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Ah, right? It's beautiful. Uh, then Jacob said to Laban, Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. We're moving on. Uh, verse 22. <laughs> so, Laban, so Laban brought together, it's the Bible. Don't be mad at me. All right. <laughs> could I have planned better and not done this during kids' own study? Yes, of course I could have. But It's the Bible, all right? So Laban brought together all the people of the the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and verse 24, and Laban (laughs) gave his servant Zilpah to his daughters as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah, So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter to marriage before the older one. He had like seven years to communicate this, but uh, finish. (laughs) It's neither here nor there, you know. Um, Finish the daughter's bridal week and we will give the one, uh, the younger one to you as well in return for another seven years of work. All right, so... I would like to propose to you just for a minute as we kind of get through all of that, all right? That, that's the worst of it. That this, I don't think, as we've studied the story together, I don't think this is the worst thing to happen to Jacob. Let me lay out a few positives of, of what has happened here that I think will actually benefit Jacob in the long run. And for anybody in a waiting room, Anyone that things have not worked out the way that you hoped or you should, this is not what you thought your story would be, uh, all of that stuff. For anybody uh, in that realm, there are some positive things that have happened here. First of all, I think it is a positive that the trickster has become the tricked. You remember how our story has gone that Jacob, the grabber, he's the deceiver, the trickster, and, and he deceived his own family, and we've seen this part of his character all throughout his story, and this story gives Jacob an opportunity, if he'll seize it, an opportunity to see deceit and trickery from another direction, right? Well, he sees the opportunity here that Laban gives him to learn and grow from this experience, And there's a lot of story uh, evidence as the story unfolds that Jacob does learn a little bit about what it feels like to be tricked. He's done a lot of tricking in his life. He's gonna learn what it feels like to be tricked. And will he learn and will he grow from this experience? And listen, I think it requires a ton of humility and a ton of self-awareness for you to learn in a moment like this. That what's being done to me I've actually been doing that to people throughout my life. It takes a ton of humility and a ton of self-awareness to say that. Man, my boss just spent an hour yelling at me, but I often go home and end up yelling at my kids. That takes self-awareness for you to see that. Or that gossip, that gossip train that so hurt me and lied about me, that gossip train, if I'm honest, I've spent way too much of my day gossiping about others. Or that lie that left me so angry, uh, that, that, that lie I've told plenty myself humility, self-awareness, and you know our culture struggles with this. We have become so about their behavior and their sin and their shortcomings. We've become so fascinated with looking out the windshield that we hardly ever look in the mirror. We have a hard time seeing the things inside of ourselves. It's easy to see their lie, their gossip, their trickery, their deceit, but Jacob is given an opportunity here to see his own. And if he allows it to penetrate, he will grow from it. There's a psychological principle that says that what angers you the most about others is something that you actually see in yourself that you don't care for. And so it is just easier to be angry toward them than to address what is going on in you. So pay attention to that right, the thing that's really cheesing you off, the thing that really makes you angry in the work environment, it very well, not every time, but it very well might be revealing something going inside of you that you don't care for and you don't like. And you're not going to get mad at you, right? We just don't tend to be that way. You're not going to get mad at you. It is easier to be mad at others. Here's how Jesus said it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the giant plank in your own eye, How can you say to your brother, let me take that little, let me get that speck out of your eye, when all the time you've got this like two by four, this plank coming out of your own eye? You hypocrite, first take care of the plank in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. He has been, Jacob has been so entitled, hasn't he? Privileged, so bent on getting what he wants and what he deserves. I think this is actually a good thing that God has allowed him to go through a little bit of trickery, a little bit of deceit, and see it from a different angle so that, here's the goal, his entitlement can become empathy. That's the goal here. Because entitlement says, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. Empathy says, how can I love and serve you? And so Jacob is given a really great opportunity here. So it's not all bad. Second reason it's not all bad is that this 14 years that took place, all right, while this 14 years wasn't what Jacob wanted and it wasn't what Jacob planned, God often uses the waiting room to redefine and to define our character and to shape us into the people he wants us to be. You see it all throughout scriptures, a long period of waiting, and God shows up to the waiting room and he says, let me redefine you Let me change you. Let me mold you into the person I want you to be. Israel is forced to wait into the desert 40 years. 40 years they're in that desert, but during that time they saw countless miracles that God did to save them and rescue them. It was during that 40 years that they received the law. It was during this time that they learned perseverance and courage and grit that would serve them later. That waiting room experience became a room that God showed up in. During uh, the, the era of the kings, there's King Saul, and then God has decided he's gonna move forward to King David, and he anoints King David to be the next king. You know how long David waited to become king? 15 years. 15 years be, uh, between when he was told he had the job to when he actually took reign. 15 years. And it was in that waiting room that God provided. It was in that waiting room that he learned leadership, patience and he became a better king because God showed up to the waiting room and changed him and made him new. Later on, Israel finds themselves in captivity, and it's during this waiting period in captivity when God really shows up to to encourage them. I wanna read this text to you. It says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Remember, they're in captivity here. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It is in the waiting room that we grow weary, but God provides the strength. It is in the the waiting room that we are prone to stumbling and falling, but God renews our strength. We sometimes lack wisdom in the waiting room. We make rash and unwise decisions, but God's understanding no one can fathom, and he will share his wisdom with us. The greatest thing we can do in a season of waiting, in that 14 years, when things have not gone as they were planned or as they should, in those 14 years, we want to stay as close to God as we can get. So God is developing Jacob's character during this 14 years so that Jacob can become the person God wants him to be. Lastly, even though things didn't go the way Jacob wanted them to go, This is amazing, guys. God continues to be faithful to his promise. Jacob did not choose Leah. Jacob did not choose Leah. But God, in his wisdom, orchestrated that. Um, Jacob was deceived. I should say, in his wisdom, God used it. And God grows Jacob's family through that relationship. As a matter of fact, when you read the next chapter and you begin to see how the family grew, many of the children came Through Leah, the plan for God to build a nation to eventually bless the world. God used this deceit in some beautiful, wonderful way to grow that nation and to fulfill his promises. So there are, I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, there are a couple different types of promises. When you think about, you always have to keep the promise in mind when you read Genesis, that God is executing a promise to bring about blessing to the entire world. And things didn't go Jacob's way here, but God still uses it to fulfill his promise. There's two types of promises, really, as you read through the scriptures. One is, if you, then I where it's kind of dependent on your obedience to a certain degree, you uh, uh, following God, doing what he's called you to do. The Sermon on the Mount is a really great example of this. There's one example in particular where God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you, then I. If you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied, you will be filled. This is one type of promise. If you'll do the right thing, If you'll do the obedient thing, if you'll follow my lead, this, this, and this will happen. And God responds that way with those promises 100% of the time. There are other promises, like the promise to Abraham, that are not as much based on me and what I do and my obedience. They are based on God. So let me give you a few of these, because I think these will be encouraging. As we think about God's promise to Abraham, we say, man, this family was kind of a nightmare They screwed up again and again and again, yet God is executing his promise. Why? Because this promise was dependent on God, not on them. So here's some of these promises. God is always good. God is not good in response to your good. God is good because he's good. All right, so that is a promise that is dependent on God and his character. He's always good. God is always present. Right? He's always right there. That's just who he is. Now, I might run from him and hide from him because of my actions. I might not sense him, but that is not to say he's not present. God is always present, and it's not dependent on me. It's just who he is. God is faithful. He will always do what he says he will do. He will keep his end of every promise that he makes. He's faithful. He's kind and compassionate. This is how the scripture can say, he causes his son to rise. You remember what it says? On the righteous and the wicked. He causes his son to rise on the righteous and the wicked because he is kind and compassionate. That's not to say there are not really good reasons to give your life to Jesus. There are, and that relationship brings blessing and fulfillment on its own as we draw close to him. That relationship gives us joy, hope, and peace. The the relationship with Jesus gives us the promise of eternal life that starts right now. Obviously, I'm a follower of Jesus for many reasons, but there are these common graces because God is good and he's compassionate. There are these common graces that everybody can enjoy. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to enjoy a sunset. Everybody enjoys it. That's just God being good. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to love the ocean. Right? It's a common grace. It is an all play, it is for everyone. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to enjoy a loving relationship with someone. Right? We all know people that don't follow Jesus that have a loving relationship. God has given us these common graces that are an all play. Now, I think He takes it up a notch when we decide to follow Him. Right? Don't hear me arguing against that at all. That, but God is kind and He is compassionate. To everyone. God designed me for a purpose. Here's another one. He's absolutely kept that promise for you. Now, you might not be living out that purpose, um, but that doesn't mean you don't have one. God has designed you for a purpose. And lastly, God loves me deeply. I hope you understand that He doesn't love you deeply because of you, He loves you deeply because of Him. He loves you because he is love. Salvation doesn't happen because some people are more loved than others. That's not not the way it is. Salvation happens because some choose to respond to the invitation of Jesus to be in a relationship with him. That's when salvation happens, is when we respond to his love, but he loves everyone deeply. So the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it seems to be more this type of promise that is based more on God than the actions of his family. And things have not gone Jacob's way at Laban's. They have not. A lot of it's Jacob's fault. More of it is Laban's fault. It's not gone well. But God has still shown up. He's still executing his plan. And we see God at work in this situation. He's building this family that's going to become a nation that will eventually bring blessing to the entire world. And that blessing is Jesus. So I bet some of us are the same way. Even in an imperfect time, even if it's imperfect because of our actions, I bet some of us in this room could tell stories that we have seen God be who he promised he would be, even in imperfect situations. That you would look back on a situation, and man, that was imperfect. A lot of it was imperfect because of what I did. But it was imperfect, and I can still see that God was with me. I can still see that God loves me. I can still see that he's been faithful. And hopefully what that motivates you to do when you see God in this way, hopefully what it motivates you to do is say, man, he's with me, I'm gonna be with him. I'm gonna return that and be with him. He loves me, I'm gonna love him in return. He loves me, I'm gonna gonna love him. He's been faithful, I'm gonna be faithful in return. And so how many waiters in the room do we have right now? you waiting and waiting and waiting for that. Perfect person that you want to marry, or for children, or for the job, and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting for God to show up, and He already has. And the worst thing in the world is not a season of waiting. God does amazing things in the waiting room. He shows up to the waiting room. There's actually a passage of Scripture, it's about the one kind of wait that we all have in common. Um, and it's talking about the kind of cosmic waiting room that we're all in right now, waiting for Jesus to return. But the text talks about waiting and what it looks like to wait well. And here's what it, here's what it says. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. So it's like, man, you feel like, man, I've been waiting a thousand years. And God's like, yeah, that's like a day for me. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, verse 14. So then, dear friends, since we are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. God is doing good things in the waiting room. Never forget that. So you're getting impatient, with the way he's moving or not moving. It's like, no, the Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear Paul also wrote with the wisdom that God gave him, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried off by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever and ever Amen. 2 Peter 3. Here's what I would say to all of us waiting. It stinks. It's hard. But understand it's not the worst thing. That God wants to show up in your waiting room. And he wants to do some amazing things. Would you allow him to do that work? One of the things that God wants to do in your waiting room, he wants to do this justifying work. In other words, he wants us to come to him so that he can forgive our sins and so that we can receive salvation. This is what the text talks again and again about. The only reason God is being so patient in his return is salvation. So allow him while you're waiting and while you don't know what's next for your family or your relationships or your job or whatever, allow God to do this justifying work to draw you to himself so that your sins could be forgiven and you could know him in this life and in the next. Allow him to do this sanctifying work. Allow him through his Holy Spirit to enter into the waiting room with you and begin to change you and transform you and make you new just like Jacob he will show up to your waiting room and he will begin to teach you patience. He will begin to teach you truth. He will begin to teach you to wait on him. He will teach you these wonderful things in that waiting room. Allow him to do the sanctifying work. Our text here that I just read would say, in the waiting room, grow in grace. How many of you have ever had the experience that a waiting room has a tendency to attack our sense of grace? Has anyone ever been in a Starbucks line before? <laughs> and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you are such a nice person, but you finally get to the window, and you can't stop yourself, and you make a snippy comment, right? Because the waiting room challenges our sense of grace. I have—I can't tell you the number of times I've been in McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever, and I'm just kind of sitting there going, "It is not the worker's fault." It is not the worker's fault. It is not the worker's fault. And I get up to the and I get up to the window, and they're like, "It works," because I get up there, and they're like, "Have a great day, sir. I'm like, you too. <laughs> bless bless the Lord." <laughs> you know, I'm a pastor, and you've probably visited my church once or twice, so you know it always ends up that way. You get all angry, and you get to the window, and They're like, "Pastor, it's great to see you. I, yeah, you too. You too. Um, I'm for sure praying for you. Yeah." Um, That grace can attack, or uh, waiting rooms can attack our sense of grace. We can get so angry with people in our lives, resentful, frustrated. So in the waiting room, keep your mind focused on grace. Because it's hard in the waiting room to show grace. Keep your mind focused on grace, and grace will absolutely bring healing to our hearts. You're going to see in the next few weeks that Jacob did not do this. He gets really mad at Laban, Right? I don't know how he viewed Leah or that relationship or whatever, but he gets really resentful about what happened, and really angry, and it ends up destroying their relationship. They end up having separated because in the waiting room, it is grace, 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 grace. God, while we're waiting for this pandemic, teach us gr- to end. Teach us grace. God, while I'm waiting for my lunch in the McDonald's drive-through, teach me grace. God, while I'm waiting for my severely overpriced coffee in the Starbucks line, teach me grace. Grace, 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 grace. He also says, grow in grace, grow in knowledge. In the waiting room, you want to grow in knowledge, specifically of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, in the waiting room, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And so I think Peter would teach us this morning, focus on what you do know, And you do know Christ, you know the power of his resurrection. You know his grace that is available to you. So in the waiting room, your mind can start to spiral out. At least mine can, confession time. It can begin to spiral out about all the things I don't know. Now, I don't know this. I don't know this. I don't know th- what's going to happen. How am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to achieve everything on my to-do list? How, 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 how? And Peter would say, Hold. in the waiting room, slow down for a minute. And focus on what you do know. Read the gospels. Focus on Jesus, listen to a worship song, and fill your mind with what you know. And it goes back to those promises I shared with you. You know he loves you. You know he has a plan for you. You know he's present with you because all of those things are dependent on him, not on you, right? You think you're gonna tell God where he can be and where he can't be? He's not, I'm present. I'm present with you. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm guiding you. I'm walking with you. I'm kind and compassionate. I've designed you for a purpose. I'm here. And so focus on what you do know instead of everything that you don't know and you will begin to find peace in your heart. I think the greatest thing that we can know is this moment we're gonna remember together right now, this moment called communion. So let's pray and then we'll talk about that for a few minutes, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and the cross. And right now, there's a lot of people here that they're sitting in a waiting room that is taxing them. And maybe it's not been 14, maybe it's been more like five years or five months or five days, but it feels like 14 years or more. And we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're expecting you to move and our grace is at its limit. And we, today we want to put all of that out of our mind. And we want to focus on what we do know. We want to focus on your Grace. And we want to begin to settle our hearts and our minds in you. We thank you for being a promise keeper, a promise maker and a promise keeper. Things that are not dependent on us, thank you, God. They're dependent on you and your grace, and we're grateful. So may we train our hearts and our minds on what we do know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's what you know 2,000 years ago. Jesus' incarnation came to earth, left heaven and came to earth, became a baby and lived a perfect life and went to the cross to pay for our sins so we could know God in this life and the next. That's what we know. You might not know how the week's gonna turn out. You might not know how the situation that's stressing you out this morning, how it's gonna turn out. You might not know what the future holds, but you know these things. You know His grace, you know His love, you know what He's already accomplished. So let's focus our hearts and our minds on that over the next few moments and just thank him for what he's done, for what he's already done and what we know he'll do in the future. But for right now, what we want to focus on, thank you for what you've already done and then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you, his blood poured out. This is what we know. This is what we know. As you leave this room, in, in the waiting room, there are things we don't know and it's okay. A lot of good happens in that waiting room, I promise you. A lot of good happens, but be reminded and remember, there's a lot that we do know about our God, and a lot of it is found in the remembrance called communion. And so let's train our hearts and our minds to focus on those things. Will you stand with me next Sunday? Uh, We're going to continue on in our Jacob series. And, uh, you know, next Sunday would have been a really perfect message for Family Fifth. But... um, (laughs) That's not the way it worked out. And we're going to live with that, and it's going to be okay. So uh, let's close with one last song, and uh, you guys have a great week ahead, okay? God bless.